A year after South Africa's first hard lockdown, what economic impact has it had on South Africa's mining industry? How has the sector dealt with the COVID-19 pandemic? Hi, I am Vuisa Mpobo, and welcome to Deep Insights. In this episode, Senior Editor speaks to Hank Longenhoven and Dr. Tutula Palfo of the Minerals Council of South Africa about the impact of COVID-19 and the way forward for the mining industry. Let's join the discussion. Dr. Balfour, with the national vaccine rollout currently underway, what is the Minerals Council's stance on vaccinating? Are you for or against it? The vaccine will save lives and will also save livelihoods. So um, as you are aware, you know, vaccination is one of the ways in which you limit uh, mortality and morbidity, which is, you know, the impact of a disease on people. And these vaccines have been shown to have uh, to be very efficacious and very good in reducing especially hospitalizations and mortality. So number one, it would mean that we do not have mortality. We currently, since the start of the epidemic, have 374 people that we have lost to the COVID epidemic. So it would mean with vaccination, we will not have those deaths. But as a business and industry, again, there's the matter of livelihoods in that there would not be as much disruption to, uh, you know, the, the, the uh, industry if people are vaccinated and therefore have limited chances of, you know, being off sick um, uh, due to the virus. And also we might even be able to go back a little bit to how we used to work before, which has been massively impacted by the vaccine. An example, for instance, a, a lot of our employees have not had their normal annual uh, medical assessments and many other tests which are done routinely. And that's because, you know, of the likelihood of overcrowding and people then contracting the disease. So we are very supportive of the vaccination program. We made it very clear to government and through our business forums before SA, BUSA, you know, we have been very strong advocates of the vaccine program and are prepared to be supporting it. I guess a follow-up question to that will be, how can the Minerals Council assist in the vaccine rollout to mining employees and mining communities? Um, you know, the mining industry has developed such that it has got an extensive uh, health care, you know, uh, facilities program or uh, in infrastructure. And it's because of the nature of the work that was done and continues to be done to some extent in the mining industry where, you know, there were significant um, injuries or diseases. And in fact, we need to have a very strong, um, you know, occupational health program. So the industry has a very strong infrastructure of health services, the basic one being the occupational health services, uh, with some companies having primary healthcare clinics and some having even hospitals. So that is the added value we have always believed we can provide to the country because this is a massive, it's a mammoth task, you know, to vaccinate um, about 
67% uh, uh, you know, of uh, adults in the country. And uh, so government, would they can't do it alone. Uh, the private sector needs to pitch in. And so with our infrastructure, we believe that number one, we can take care of our own employees. So government doesn't need to bring services, you know, when the, these can be utilized uh, for more needy people. So we would, we want, we are ready to be able to vaccinate our own employees. We've got uh, in the order of about 460,000 average, you know, employees in the industry. So if we can make a dent and uh, vaccinate those, we believe that it takes off quite a substantial number of people for government. But uh, again, if we are then able to go beyond that, uh, some of the companies will have committed that they would be able to provide, you know, uh, uh, services to communities uh, because employees live with communities. And so it does not help to just look at vaccinating our employees. So there would then be collaboration with the local health departments to ensure that companies support in kind or financially or in whatever manner really that is possible for the company to support the vaccination of the peri-mining communities. So that's how then as an industry we believe that uh, you know we can make a contribution to the program. Has the experience of running campaigns to combat HIV, AIDS and TB assisted in the fight against COVID-19? Most definitely it has, you know, because for instance, COVID is an airborne, uh, it's a transmissible disease. Um, TB, we in the industry have been dealing with TB, which is uh, very airborne. You know, I'm saying uh, COVID is a bit airborne. TB is very airborne, that's how it is transmitted. And so also, you know, the way you manage COVID is similar to TB, where you need to identify, you need to uh, have screening for people to check if they are not displaying symptoms. You need to test them and you then, if they test positive, you, you have to uh, trace all their contacts. So it's very much the same which means as an industry that's been dealing with the TB epidemic for a long time, those principles really are embedded in how we, uh, you know, how we do work. And so it has not been that difficult for us to translate those uh, lessons from our TB programs to, HIV, uh, to, the, to the COVID um, epidemic. And of course, even with the HIV, you find that there are uh, you know, some of the uh, lessons from HIV, which also go with COVID. For instance, issues of stigma, where some people who might not be so eager to report that, you know, they've got the disease because some people might view, other people might review, look at them differently. And so with HIV, again, our staff is trained in you know, the counseling for uh, against stigma. And the, of course, the manner in which you deliver your health programs and you communicate and you educate your employees, both those diseases, TB and HIV, they require a lot of education of your employees to prevent the disease. And 
it's the same even with the COVID, you know, in terms of the messaging you need to provide, which is appropriate for people and in the language that they understand. So we really were at a great advantage, I would say, in terms of the experience that we already have managing those two epidemics, which have got very uh, uh, many similarities uh, with uh, COVID. A year after the first hard lockdown, how successful have the measures to combat COVID-19 been? For the mining sector, I I would say that we have done fairly well. We It's a mixed sort of uh, bag. Oh, let me say the, the, the lockdown, you know, restrictions were mainly to the general population. So I'll talk more about our experience with the epidemic, which, for instance, we found that uh, on transmission, we had a significant number of cases, some of which was due to the fact that the industry tests far more than, you know, the general, for instance, South Africa. I mean, right now, our testing rate stands at about 28.3%, and uh, that's higher than the global rate which is about 25%. And South Africa's rate of testing is uh, just under 17%. So the principle with uh, any disease is the more you test, the more you will find. So the industry has tested quite a lot, particularly when employees were coming back from the December break. A lot of companies put in uh, uh, antigen testing especially for employees from high-risk uh, areas. So we have had, an, uh, our number of cases has been higher as a rate than the country, for instance, but then our mortality has also been lower. Although some of the employees we have kept away from work due to their comorbidities. And so, I would say that, you know, the principles that have been set out, things like the procedures for protection of vulnerable employees that were put out by government, I think we did apply those and probably it has resulted in the lower mortality. But it's not sustainable, um, that is, to keep people away for a protracted length of time, you know, away from work. Even if they get a government subsidy, it definitely would not uh, compensate for the full salary that they get. And so that's why then it's even more crucial that we do have a vaccine, which means for us, the priority will be those employees who are over 50 and those which have comorbidities, because they actually have been the ones who uh, bore the brunt of the epidemic. When we look at our figures, more than half of the people, about half of the people that died were, you know, over 50. And uh, where we had numbers on or information on people with comorbidities, then you'd find that, you know, it ranges between 70%, average, I would say, so 70% of the people that died had comorbidities. So it is uh, going to be quite important for us then to sust for us to be sustainable and have everyone you know back at work then the vaccine we see as a, a, a way in which we can get to that stage. Hank, 
It's been a year after the first lockdown affected mining operations. How much of an economic impact has it had on the South African mining industry, especially given the fact that pre-COVID-19, the mining industry was already facing tough times? Thank you, Gerard. Uh, it's a very interesting question because we were, all of us were, were very concerned when, when this thing started. And, and guiding uh, by the what the World Bank has been and their prospects and what they uh, sort of put out as, as the possible implications of the of the vac of the COVID nineteen pandemic were twofold. One that commodity demand will drop and therefore prices will drop, and that secondly there would be huge disruptions of the supply chains. Now, the supply chain for us are two things. One, people supplying to us machinery and equipment, etc. But we being the beginning of the supply chain for commodities going out because we export 70 to 80 percent of what we of what we mine. None of that actually happened. Because of the uncertainty around things like uh, supply chains being disrupted, but also if you recall, at the time, the, the US and Chinese um, debate about trade and, and sanctions, uh, sort of for that sanctions they, they instituted against each other, were at its height. So uncertainty worldwide was, was actually high and, and commodity demand actually did not subside. And therefore commodity prices did not subside. As a matter of fact, commodity prices actually increased and improved quite substantially. And for the South African, just to give you an idea, for a South African basket of, of commodities like gold and, and iron ore and platinum and coal, our prices went up by something like 25%. So we were to a degree protected by this almost windfall because South Africa is, is, is often, and the mining sector specifically, often exposed to these international changes that happen in the world economy that we have absolutely no control over. And this was a prime example of that. So whatever we could mine and what we could sell, sold for 25% more than over, over a 12-month period than, than before, which was a great relief. But if I have to answer you more in terms of what really happened on the ground in terms of production, because production did actually suffer quite substantially. We, we were in January 2020, we were running at about an index number of 100 or 100%. We dropped to 50% by April, but fairly quickly recovered. It took uh, five, six, seven months. Uh, for us to jump back, not completely, and that's one of the longer-term issues that we don't really understand yet, uh, is that on average we are still producing less per month than what we did before the COVID pandemic happened. And like you're saying, we were under stress for many other reasons, electricity, logistics, rail, harbors, uh, you name it. Um, those are still there, and, and, and hence us not recovered completely to the levels that we were before the, uh, the pandemic. But in terms of production, we actually, uh, uh, like I said now, production 
uh, took about, um, I just want to see, uh, about five or six months to recover. The price prices for our commodities just kept on rising. Uh, and like I said, by 25%. And our exports very quickly recovered. Um, now, it, it took about four months to, to reach the, the, the bottom of the cycle and then of, of the shock. Actually, I should call it a shock. It's not a cycle. And then recovered within three months. So our exports recovered fairly quickly, and, and which helped the mining sector. And the latest employment numbers just came out. Uh, last week, there has been limited losses uh, of employees. There are, like Tutula has been saying, there are a number of our employees that are not back at work because they are in the high risk uh, categories, yeah. but they are still on our books and they are supported. So um, we don't know how that will pan out in, in future. What is a bit worrying is that fixed investment dropped literally by the same amount as, as, as production, which is in the order of 11, 11%. So in real terms, the mining sector is not back where it was, but in nominal terms, in terms of the finances, etc., we actually have recovered because of the better prices internationally. We will continue the discussion after this short message. It will never be the same. The new normal is business unusual. At Mining Review Africa, we want to partner with you to ensure that your brand is still visible in these unprecedented times. That's why we're offering you a bouquet of digital marketing choices to ensure that your company is still top of mind with your clients. This includes podcasts, partner profiles, videos, and webinars. Want to know more? Click on the Engage tab on MiningReview.com today to find out how we can give you more bang for your digital buck. Welcome back to our discussion. Now, earlier this year, the Minerals Council brought out its State of the Mining Report, where it called for more regulatory reform to attract investment and exploration activities. What needs to happen from a regulatory point of view to attract more investment and to promote exploration? Well, the short answer is more certain about the regulations. Um, and and uh, if I can answer your second part of the question first about exploration, exploration has virtually come to a standstill. Green fields. We on we distinguish between green fields, which is new areas where you go and explore and 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 find out what there is, as against what we call brownfields exploration, which is on your allotted mining license uh, area, where you just prod more and try to find out whether there are not. Uh, more resources or reserves in the corners of your of the area that you already have the mining license for. Um, but generally, on on uh, on on regulations, so so the, the 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 mining charter that 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 was negotiated a, a while back had some provisions um, in it that made financing of exploration very difficult. That's apart from actually the process of applying and getting through all the all the bureaucracy. Uh, some of those restrictions have been lifted, and and exploration is a little bit like horse racing. You 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 buy a filly and you hope that 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 it will win a race eventually for you. So you need 
really venture capital. It's not a case of having a license and go to the bank and say, please give me some money. That is not how it works. You, 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 will, very, you will be very lucky if any financial institutions will lend you money. But the, the venture capitalists who, who are out for finding something and then selling that to a mining company is really what you need. But the rest of the regulations around the mining charter, there are several issues that we that we um, worried about when you the certainty of when you renew licenses. For example, there is a clause in the in the mining charter that expects from the companies to achieve a 60% local content uh, in their procurement which we think is virtually impossible. I mean, the motor industry has been at this for decades and they are in the order of 30 to 40% and they got a lot of incentives from government. Most of the, the industrial incentives that, that were given by the, the trade and industry department went to the, to the motor industry and, and they are struggling to get to that. And, and mining is an international business. Um, we rely on, on the best equipment, best technology that are sometimes in South Africa, absolutely. There are unique uh, capabilities in some of the technologies that we have. But overall, it's, it's a smaller percentage of what we actually need. And, and that is a, is a big worry for us. We are completely for it and want to expand local procurement. We do anyway procure about 60 to 70 percent of what we buy in South Africa, but um, we just think that that a 60 percent target is just too high. We, we won't be able to reach that. Let's look at the demand for certain commodities right now, specifically battery metals. Can South Africa take advantage of the demand for battery metals? There are mixed uh, messages that one gets. I'm not a metallurgical engineer nor a chemical engineer, and I um, I just listen to the to the to these people. And what is very interesting and different from what happened when the gold price went through the roof. The gold gold price accelerated because of stepping off the gold standard. But everybody wanted gold to actually increase in price because they were using it as an investment, as a store of value for the Platinum group metals, and that is what you're really talking about, um, it's quite different. <clears throat> the technology is not uh, that far developed. Um, and to, give, to put it to you very simply, there are about 10 different applications for batteries. And each one of that application, if you, and if you take your cell phone, it's a lithium-ion battery but if you go to a, a, a deep cycle battery that needs to run your fridge when you're going out in the bush it's completely different the components in it is a completely different combination of the minerals and nobody really knows which one of these technologies or applications will really accelerate and be the the big demand in future the prices are very high at the moment because of this because nobody knows yeah. exactly how this technology will pan out and, but to give you another example, lithium, there, there were several lithium mines that opened because everybody thought, well, this is now the battery mineral of the future and the price collapsed and there was a complete oversupply and several of these lithium mines actually closed down again. Whereas things like cobalt, which is virtually the biggest resources in, in, in the Congo, 
and many of the very strategic minerals and metals that these um, that this new green world that we hope we will go into and faster uh, as far as possible, a lot of them are actually in the African countries and and South Africa, zinc and copper and and uh, some of and the platinum group of course, uh, are, we 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 have lots of them. So the 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 issue of mining that mineral versus actually making the application are yeah. completely two different things. I think that's where the, the, the problem lies. We are not manufacturers. We are miners. We can do that very well. Um, we are trying to, to, to uh, support sort of example applications like uh, hydrogen vehicles or uh, electrically driven um, the, these big trucks that come out of the pits with, with the iron ore uh, are sometimes electrically driven when they, when they go up the pit. When they go down, they use the, the diesel motors. So uh, we, we are trying to actually show that these things, the applications are there and can be done. But where this will go is the, and, and which technologies will, 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 uh, will, find the, the, the highest application is really an unknown uh, issue. And there's so many moving parts. I mean, um, we, for example, have a very rich rare earth resource, but it's small. So can you build a, a, an industry and a downstream industry on, on a small, high quality one, or must it be massive? And, and then you have enough here. It's not immediately obvious that when you have a resource of or a mineral that you must also do the, the fabrication and the application of. You can imagine, I mean, the batteries mostly application in, in cars in Europe. I mean, there's no way that we would be able to build the, the vehicles here. We may be building part of the batteries or components of the batteries, but it's, it's, uh, it's benefiting us at the moment, the uncertainty, because prices are high and nobody knows whether they're going to run out of these things as the technology develops. Finally, Hank, in your opinion, is South Africa's mining industry a sunset or a sunrise industry? Can I, can I use an example of, of, of copper? Um, at Prisca and at Okip in, in the Northern Cape, uh, there were mines, mostly copper, that were closed because of many things. They, they either did not have um, um, a market or, or whatever. Both of them are open again. New, tech, new uh, um, exploration technologies enabled the finding of a, of a very rich, two rich resources of zinc and copper at Prisca and at Oki. And that mine will be open again. Now, your question is it a sunrise or a, or a sunset industry? I really can't tell you. I would, the, the, the adjustment that is needed worldwide in mining towards these more, let's call it green minerals, is taking place in South Africa. We all know that, that uh, coal, for example, will, will be used for, for quite a while still because we have coal fired power stations, but it will probably. Uh, diminish over time. Gold 
is a is is a is a resource. We know there there's more gold under under the under the Witwatersrand than than what we have mined. But it's deeper than four kilometers, and the technology to actually use that is probably or mine that is is probably not as mature. So the answer is yes and no. There there are really we we realize that there are a, a, a number of of undiscovered reserves in the country, but and hence our 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 emphasis on exploration, not only for the fact that that is the beginning of a pipeline. So the, if you mine and you don't do exploration, the closure of the mine day just comes closer and closer. But if you do exploration, the possibilities of actually taking it further. And we know of some of the minerals that people said, well, they left some of it and did not go and mine it because they thought it was not as economical as the others that they went to. So the potential is there, and, and maybe I should finish with this. The Fraser Institute in Canada does a, an evaluation every year of, on the one hand, the minerals potential. In other words, what do you have? What does the country have that it can mine? And secondly, what are the rules and regulations that, that, are, that are helping or hindering the unlocking of that? And we, unfortunately, are faring very badly on the second one. On the first one, we, are, we have... We have slow down our exploration. So if we could accelerate that, we think there's huge potential and, uh, and, and regulations and, and laws one can change to, to actually unlock the, the potential that we have. So my, my overall answer is a sun uh, rise industry, but it's not going to rise by itself. We will have to make it rise. Thank you to our guest, Henk Lankenhoven and Dr. Tutula Balfour of the Minerals Council South Africa for joining us on Deep Insights today. Thank you for listening. Remember to subscribe to our podcast channel on all popular podcast platforms. Also, get the latest mining news and insights on miningreview.com. Until next time, goodbye.